Well, a couple months ago, we began a series through this awesome book in the Bible titled Ephesians. And Ephesians is actually a letter written to a church that this man by the name of Paul, who was an apostle, was a pastor, was a planter, and a preacher, started this awesome church in the city of Ephesus and wrote this letter to the Ephesian church that we have recorded for us in our Bibles, praise God. And I remember when we opened up to chapter one and we approached the first couple of verses on that day, we would then go on to spend nine weeks in this powerful first chapter of this awesome little letter written by the Apostle Paul, inspired by God for his church. We called that first chapter the blessed life. The blessed life as we see in this first chapter, God writing to the church about all the blessings that we have in Christ alone. Possibly my favorite verse in chapter one comes in verse three, Ephesians chapter one, verse three. As Paul writes and says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God has taken heavenly blessings and has given them to us. And the apostle Paul says, Here, here's what I want you to know, Ephesian church, and we can take that letter today and apply it to ourselves. Walk church in Christ is the blessed life. Not just the best life, although that too, but the blessed life. And blessings has less to do with materialistic things and more to do with every single thing that Jesus has for you in and through his spirit and in his word. And so we talked about the blessed life in Ephesians chapter one. I love what John MacArthur says about the book of Ephesians, as we just get our hearts and minds wrapped around this book, he says, Ephesians has rightly been titled The Believer's Bank and the Treasure House of the Bible. This beautiful letter tells Christians of their great riches, inheritance, and fullness in Jesus Christ and in his church. It unfolds for them the infinite blessings they possess in Christ and how they can calm, claim and enjoy those possessions. One of the possessions that we get to claim that we see in Ephesians chapter 1 is the power of the resurrection. And I remember preaching on this exact subject a few months ago. We called it Easter in September. If you want to go back and listen to that message, it's on walkchurch.com. Just go to the sermon archive. You can find it in our Blessed Life Ephesians 1 series. But it talks about how the church is able to tap into the same power that rose Christ from the dead that same power that rose Jesus from the grave now lives in us, now embodies us. And in Ephesians chapter one, that's where we left off and how this same powerful spirit empowers you and I today. And then we close chapter one and that's exactly where we're gonna pick it up today as we approach Ephesians chapter two, verse one through five in this new series that we've titled From Death to Life. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you one more time. We've worshiped you by song and praise. We've worshiped through you through activity, through approaching the Lord's table. God, now we wanna worship you through listening to your word. Jesus, you say, everyone who comes to me and hears my word. Father, give us ears to hear. Give us the grace of concentration this morning 
to hear your word, to understand your word, and to apply your word in our lives. Wake us up today with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter two, verse one, all the way through five. Now, I guarantee you we won't make it through all five verses today. Uh, but we will just go ahead and read them. It'll be a trailer. How many of you guys like the trailers before you go watch a movie? All right? You want some trailers for the next couple weeks? Here they are right here. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Everybody take a breath. <gasps> that was deep. But God, amen? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. Verse five, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. I wanna preach a message to you today that I'm titling, Fear of the Walking Dead. Fear of the Walking Dead. Let's begin by looking briefly at the first couple words in Ephesians chapter two, verse one. The author of this letter writes, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. I wanna talk about that word dead. Now this is a, a, a word, a verse, that may not be the most popular sermon preached in our day to day. This is a verse that I didn't want to just rush past. I felt impressed by the Lord to spend time on this one verse because if we don't understand why the Apostle Paul would write to the Ephesians and say, hey, let me remind you that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It won't fully make sense why we're, what, what, what we're learning, what we're reading, or even the Christian life in general. This word dead, I did a search on. It's the Greek word nekros. It means one that has breathed his last, lifeless, deceased, departed, on whose soul is in heaven or hell, someone without life. Now, maybe you would say, we know what the word dead means. Why do you got to tell us all those descriptions of this word? Well, here's why. I do not want to deceive us today into thinking that this word dead means anything other than what it means. This word does not mean that you were asleep. This does, this does not mean that you were in a spiritual coma. This does not mean that you were taking a nap after church. The word means what it says it means. It says that you were dead. Synonyms. You were without life. You were lifeless. You were deceased. You were departed. You were ones whose soul was headed to hell. Destruction. This is what the Bible teaches us. It says that you were dead. I was listening to John Piper. He says it like this. He says, the reason we need a savior is not just that we are in the doghouse with God. 
needed to be forgiven of offending his glory. We need a savior because we're in the morgue. In the doghouse, you might whimper. You might say you're sorry. You might make some good resolutions. You might decide to cast yourself on the mercy of God. But what can you do if you're in the morgue? It says you were dead. That is our history. That's our background. Why are you so excited about Jesus? It's because I was dead. <laughs> That's why. I mean, I was literally dead. I remember my wife and I were in, in Kentucky a few years back, and I was coaching some college basketball and doing some school out there. And I remember one time we were in this student union area, and we saw a bunch of students gathering together, and they were huddling up, getting ready to turn on the TV. And I said, hey, what are you guys doing? They said, oh, we're getting ready to watch the season finale of The Walking Dead. They were watching this show that I think at least at one time was popular. And here's what hit me as I was studying for this sermon. You don't have to watch a TV show to watch The Walking Dead. You can just go outside and watch people, and you'll watch The Walking Dead. And some of those people are here today. The reality is that was my story. Like, I was on a college campus dead, alive in the fact that I was living, lowercase l, but spiritually completely 100% in the morgue, lifeless, dead. That's it. I want to submit to you this morning that apart from a relationship with Christ, apart from knowing him spiritually, intimately, relationally, that you and I, apart from that reality, we are completely dead and we need to understand that because if we don't we'll never appreciate the life that he has given to us i was at del sol high school this past wednesday and george and i lead a fca bible study there it's awesome what god is doing over 50 high school students and athletes were there to just hear the word and hang out with us and eat pizza and one young man asked this question before we jumped into the word that day he said okay can i ask a quick question he said how come there's so many people that don't believe in god and, and in that moment, we were just getting started, and we, we gave some preliminary answers uh, before uh, reading the word at that day. But, you know, as I was studying, God gave me the answer. You know why so many people don't believe? Because they're dead. <laughs> right? They're dead. You can't believe something if you're dead. Right? You could, you could take a dead person to a funeral and say, Howard, right, do you want to believe? And there would be no... And no response there because they're, they're lifeless. It's part of life. And the truth is today that we get to learn from the Ephesians church and the Apostle Paul, the pastor of this church, he's just wanting to encourage the church. Do not get so far removed from the gospel that you forget who you were so that you can be appreciative of who you are in Christ. That's what approaching the Lord's table, that's what Gary was talking about is that when we approach the table, we remember who we were and what he has done for us. Warren Wearsby says it like this, and this is a little bit of a longer quote, but I think you can be encouraged by it. He says, just as a person physically dead is unable to respond to physical stimuli, so a person spiritually dead is unable to respond to spiritual things. A corpse does not hear the conversation going on in the funeral parlor, Right? He has no appetite for food. 
or drink. He feels no pain. He is dead. Just so with the inner man of the unsaved person. His spiritual faculties are not functioning. They cannot function until God gives him life. Hear this, church. Hear this well. The unbeliever is not sick. He's dead. He does not need resuscitation. He needs resurrection. That's true. That's true for us. And let me just be honest with you. This would be the most loving thing I could say to you today. If you're here today and you're hearing these words and you're starting to think, you know what, I think he's talking to me. Like, I think I'm, I'm, I think I'm dead spiritually. Then would it be that God in his grace is locking in on you and saying, I'm waking you up. I'm bringing you to life. I'm breathing fresh living air inside you spiritually so that you could see for the first time. So that you could feel the presence of God for the first time. That's why we just saying, let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. A dead person can't feel that, but God. In Christ you can. The reality is that apart from him, the Ephesian church and walk church is dead. Now maybe you would ask this tough question. That is a deep teaching from the apostle Paul, but Did Jesus really believe that? I mean, I know that's what Paul says, inspired by God, but what did Jesus teach? And I want us to go ahead and turn to Jesus and let us be pastored and preached to this morning by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We see an encounter in Matthew chapter 8, verse 21 through 22, where another of the Lord's disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Verse 22, and Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. I never fully understood that verse. What is he talking about? Now, I know that's a radical call to discipleship, right? Like this dude's like, yo, my my pops has just passed away, you know, like, or maybe my dad's one day going to die and I'll follow you after that. And Jesus has a sermon for this young man. It's like what Gary said. We're not here to play around or wait around. I like how the NLT translation translates these two verses. It says that another of his disciples said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me now. You might not even make it home today. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Jesus said if If you don't know him now, it doesn't make a difference. His mind is on eternity. There's another text that Jesus is ministering to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. Notice these words to the Pharisees. And here's why I give you this example because maybe you say, hey, only the dead people are the people that are really sinful and lost, right? Like those are the people that are on the strip, partying, sinning, drugs, sexual sin. Now those people are really dead. As if Jesus has a different sermon for those who are really righteous. We turn to Matthew 23. Jesus now in a different encounter with the Pharisees at the temple. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now maybe you noticed I took my voice up a notch. Well, Jesus did too. He has an exclamation point. Like, read, read the grammar, teachers. Right? I mean, we got to, amen. Right? I got to clap there. It's important. The exclamation point is important. Jesus was not like, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Right? Like, he was upset. 
hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. He says that the person who claims to know Jesus or bases his righteousness or her righteousness on what they do instead of who they know, right? If you want to find a model for, for uh, good works and righteousness, right, like I wouldn't say, look at anybody even in the church per se. I'd say, look, it's about who they know. It's not about what we do. It's about what he's, he's done, amen? Not about what I did. I messed it up. I was dead. No, look at what Jesus did. I'm on his team. Like, look at our captain, the winning team. Jesus looks at the Pharisee, and he looks at the tax collector, and he says, both of you are dead. And you need a revival. You need a revival, not a revival. You need a revival. <laughs> you, can't, you can't have a revival if you haven't been vibed. <laughs> Jesus is, is coming before you and he's saying, wake up. It's time to live. Breathe. Come out, Lazarus. Come up out of the grave and come alive. Pharisees, people that base their righteousness on themselves as if they can some way earn God's favor. A dead person can't earn that. Right? You can fake it until you make it, but the reality is you'll never make it because you're dead. But if you come into an encounter with Christ, he has the power to raise you from the dead. Another scripture we see in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 5 through 7. Now Paul is writing to his young disciple, this young protege pastor named Timothy, and he says these words. He goes, now a true widow, a woman who is truly alone in this world, has placed her hope in God. She prays night and day, asking God for his help. Verse 6, but the widow who lives only for the pleasure is spiritually dead even while she lives. Give these instructions to the church. Look, I'm just trying to be obedient to verse 7, all right? I'm called to give these instructions and get out of the way. Paul writes and he says, I want you to, to acknowledge and validate widows in the fellowship. And we have some amazing widows in our church today. And he has instruction for these people. And he says that like this, he says, look, they don't place their hope in this world. Place your hope in God. Place your hope, your trust, your foundation, your life in him, praying night and day, asking God for his help. That's not just good principle for a widow. That's good practice for all of us here today. But for the person in the widow specifically who lives only for the pleasure of this world, well, he says, oh, I, there's a scripture about that person. They're spiritually dead, even while they live. There's a paradox there. I, I, I get it. But it's the truth of what we see here in the scripture today. And we must have these instructions in our church while we examine God's word expositionally and powerfully. He goes on to say, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. In the trespasses and sins. 
Originally, before really studying this verse, I, I always put the two as the same thing. But they're actually two different meanings, although they lead to the same thing. Dead. Trespasses. The Greek word peripatoma, it means a lapse or deviation from truth and uprightness. To commit an offense against. Have you ever trespassed something before? Maybe you've went in a place that wasn't yours. You stepped on a person's yard and they're like, hey, no trespassing. You saw that sign that says, hey, no trespassing. You're not allowed to come in here. God has set up his law. God has set up his rules and his statutes, which are so good. And yet we've trespassed those things. We have broken his law. We have broken his word. We've trespassed against our father. And because of that, it's created spiritual death. Some point in our lives, whether it was yesterday, this morning, or years ago, God said, don't do it. Don't go in there. Don't touch it. Don't say it. Don't smell it. Don't be a part of it. And at some point, we've trespassed those words, haven't we? And we said, I want to do it anyway. It's in those moments where we haven't just trespassed your neighbor, you've trespassed God. And God in his holiness and God in his righteousness won't allow it. He goes on to say, you are dead in your sin, your trespasses and sins. This Greek word, harmitia, means to miss God's mark. It, it, it was the same word that was used to describe those who would throw darts or javelin or use in an Olympic game. It means that you threw it and you missed the mark completely. Now, it's one thing to miss the mark in the Olympic game. But again, if we can center in on the person and presence of holy, almighty God, we have not just missed any mark. We've missed God's mark. We've missed his mark. Now, maybe you would ask this question. What is God's mark? If God has a bullseye, what's in the center of it? Here's what I believe is in the center of God's mark. Are you ready? It's a G word. Glory. Glory. That that we exist at the end of the day to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, right? When we glorify God, we get joy from that. Like whenever I glorify myself, it's pretty empty. Like, hey, did you see me? Did you see me? At the end of the day, that kind of feels empty. But when I say, did you see God? It fills me up. That's what I was created for. It's what I was made for, to glorify God and enjoy him Forever. We see here a, a strong definition of sin in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. I want to show you this verse on the screen here. It says, for all have sinned. Everybody say all. all. That means me, that means you, and your brother and sister too. Amen? All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. That's the bullseye. We've missed it. You want to know what a good definition for sin is? Fail to glorify God. That's what the Bible teaches us. We have sinned because we've failed to glorify him with our lives. I'll tell you what, when I was dead in my sins and trespasses, I never gave glory to God. Right? What, what dead person gives glory 
to God in their lives and their purity and their walk and their integrity. Right? You could be, to a human standard, good, but that's not the standard that God calls us to. He calls us to his standard, which is glory. Hey, glory to God, brother. Dead, whitewashed tomb. You're beautiful on the outside, but inwardly you're wrong. It means to glorify God even with your thinking, to glorify God with your heart. So the word glorify means to magnify. The word glorify means to bring praise, to give credit to. And we've all failed to do that to glorify him the way he is due. And in doing so, we've entrenched ourselves in a life of sin, failing to glorify God. We see here in the next verse, Romans 6, 23, we, we just flip those 23s right here, from 3:23 to Romans 6, 23. Read this verse of scripture for me off the screen. It says, ready, one, two, three, four, the wages of sin is, say it, Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on. The wages of sin is what we just read. Your sin will kill you. Spiritual death. The more we feed sin, the closer and closer we get to death. Right? That's why Jesus says, hey, let me give you the best news. Turn from sin. That's not like a, a boring, dull command. That's the most life-giving thing Jesus could say to you, right? If my son is running into the street, I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, do it. I'm going to say, turn from that sin. You're going to get hit by a car. Choose life. We got so much more life over on this side. Repent from trespasses. You trespass God's word. He said, don't do it. You did it anyway. Don't go there. You did it anyway. Sin is, hey, I had opportunity to glorify God. I failed to hit the mark of glorifying God, not just with my words, but with my life. That's what it looks like. And because of that, I've been, became spiritually dead. The wages of sin is death. What is death? Death really is just separated from God, apart from God. So spiritual death is that spiritually you're apart from God, which means you're not spiritual. There's some people that say that and super deceive themselves. Hey, you go to church? No, I'm spiritual. What does that mean? You're spiritual, spiritually dead, right? Like, you, yeah, you, that, that, that makes no sense. The only person that's spiritual is somebody who's alive in Christ. That's how you become spiritual. And we see here Paul writing to the church and he's saying, hey, the wages of your sin, the debt, the payment. Anybody love payday? Come on. Everybody got to love payday. Tax season coming. We got a few people like, yeah, that's my, that was my moment in the sermon, payday, right? You don't want payday with God because the wages of what you've produced, your works, have, is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why do you think that God spoke to Adam and Eve and said, Adam, listen, if you eat from the fruit, if you trespass my word, you will die. 
And Satan said what? You won't die. Right? And God was saying, spiritually, you will be removed from me for your disobedience. Which is the definition of death. To be removed from God. I love how David says it in Psalm 51. After he was caught in his adulterous sin with Bathsheba, he said, God, take everything from, from me. Just don't take you from me. You can take my car. You can take my house. You can take this pulpit. You can take this TV. You can take my shoes. Whatever you take, just don't take you. Because if you take you, I'm dead. Just don't take your presence from me. Because if you remove your presence from me, I got nothing left. I'm dead. I can get all that stuff back. Just don't take your presence from me. This is what David says. So Paul writes to the Ephesian church. And worship team, you guys can make your way back up as we, we get ready to close here. He says, says that you were dead in the trespasses and sins that you once walked in. But God. The ESV study Bible gives us these words here, he says it like this, that, that the, the commentators bring to our attention that God helps those who help themselves is not from the Bible, but from the ancient Greeks. As Paul emphasizes in this section, the truth is the exact opposite. God helps the helpless, doesn't he? Yes. Even more, he helps his enemies who have transgressed his holy law. God in the gospel is saying, I, the life giver, holy, righteous, almighty God, am stepping down into this world to give life to sinful people who are spiritually dead. In order for Paul to in encourage the, the Ephesians the way that he wants to, in order for them to tap into the spirit of resurrection, he has to say, hey, and you were dead. Everybody say the word were. Were, were dead. Were. Right? saying there was once upon a time where you were dead yes. but God made you alive in Christ no mm, that's good let's pray